0: Welcome to Caring on the Go, your exclusive access to the latest news and commentary from the current issue of Caring for the Ages, the official newspaper of AMDA, the Society for Post-Acute and Long-Term Care Medicine. Statements made by guests on the podcast are their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the position of the society. A speaker's appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them, their views, or any entity they represent. This podcast is eligible for ABPLM pre-approved certified medical director credits. Details will be provided at the end of this podcast. And now here's our host of Caring on the Go, Dr. Carl Steinberg.
1: Welcome to Caring on the Go. I'm your host, Dr. Carl Steinberg. Caring on the Go, a member of the AMDA on the Go podcast series, spotlights articles and stories from Caring for the Ages, the news magazine from AMDA, the Society for Post-Acute and Long-Term Care Medicine. With every new issue, we welcome Caring for the Ages Editor-in-Chief, Dr. Elizabeth Gallick, to discuss some key articles. In this episode, we'll be highlighting the May 2022 issue of Caring. Dr. Gallick is a nurse practitioner in long-term care and community-based settings through a clinical practice within the Shepherd Pratt Health System. She's a professor at the University of Maryland School of Nursing, where she teaches in the Adult Gerontology Primary Care Nurse Practitioner Program, and conducts research to improve care practices for older adults with dementia and their caregivers in long-term care. Beth, welcome back to Carrying On The Go.
2: Thanks so much, Carl, thrilled to be back again.
1: So it looks like this May issue is another theme issue on a topic that's really of great importance to our readers and those we work with, the workforce shortage in post-acute and long-term care. And I wanna commend you, Beth, on deciding to highlight this subject, even though there's obviously not a clear solution and a lot of hand-wringing about how hopeless this situation is. So what made you decide to put together this theme issue?
2: So I imagine for anyone practicing in post-acute and long-term care these days, um, we are all getting to see the impact of the workforce shortage every day in our practice. There's always staffing shortages in post-acute and long-term care, at least there have been in the past, but the COVID-19 pandemic really exacerbated these shortages. And now we're starting to see others outside of the industry um, paying attention. The staffing shortages in post-acute and long-term care are frequently discussed in the news by policymakers, patient advocacy groups, and their regular topics at professional conferences. We also know that post-acute and long-term care settings that did not historically have challenges with staffing and retention may now be struggling in some instances. and. Um, Just in my drives around my neighborhood and community, almost every post-acute and long-term care community that I drive past, I see help wanted signs posted Mm. in front of the building. Me too. This is such a significant challenge right now um, that we really wanted caring to be part of the discussion, not only mentioning the challenges, but also some potential solutions.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic, and and I know uh, I think facilities all across the country are are facing you know having to use registry nurses that are not uh, you know they don't know our residents uh, they come in they're just working a shift punching a clock and plus it's super expensive and it's uh, you know uh, I don't blame a nurse for wanting to make a better salary but it's uh, I'm, it saddens me that our patients are the ones that that kind of suffer from that
2: yeah. It, it is really hard right now.
1: Yeah. So uh, today we're going to start out by talking about May's front page top article by our senior reporter Joanne Caldy, on the general topic of our long term care workforce shortage, including some perspective from David Grabowski that he shared at our society's annual meeting in Baltimore in March. So what are some of the take home points of Joanne's article?
2: So a couple points. Um, one is just some of the numbers around the loss of workers. So uh, the post-acute and long-term care arena has lost over 400,000 uh, workers. Wow. So Brilliant. that right now, nearly two thirds of nursing homes and about one third of assisted living facilities say that they're limiting new admissions because of their staffing shortages. And We know that while increased pay for frontline staff is helpful, it won't solve the problem by itself. Mm. So we have to start thinking about things like um, career advancement for staff and really trying to improve uh, working environments and working conditions. And the idea that medical directors and other clinicians and members of the interdisciplinary team really can help. Um, with direct care staff retention, by um, treating these individuals with respect, acknowledging the great work that they do, um, you know, particularly um, our nursing assistants.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, it is hard to retain people, especially the younger generation. I mean, you know, just look at them funny, and they've, they've moved on to another job in a few months. So, Uh, Anyway, uh, so one point this article made was that many potential workers who who could theoretically uh, work in our setting, uh, and I mean both in nursing school and in medical school, uh, get little to no exposure to our care setting while they're in their studies or in their training. So they may not have a chance to see the kind of unique and rewarding work that we do in nursing homes and really what a special uh, care setting. It is taking care of people who are uh, truly vulnerable. Uh, so uh, you're an educator. Any ideas about how we can remedy that and get people uh, into our care settings?
2: So, you know, I totally agree with you. Um, it's so important to get students and trainees involved in post-acute and long-term care settings. And we know that many programs, whether it's medicine, nursing, pharmacy, um, those in recreation, social work, they're all looking for clinical sites for their students. And since the pandemic's onset, it's been even more challenging. And even if your facility is not you know, what we would call a teaching nursing home, you can still volunteer to precept and mentor a single student. Um, if you're in education uh, or have that as part of your role, make students aware of the unique opportunities in post-acute and long-term care, things like flexibility, Longer appointment times than you'd see in primary care, more team-based care, and getting to work with residents and families over time really can make a difference in their lives. The other strategy to use is engaging students in professional organizations early. Uh, There's many memberships that focus on geriatrics, like AMDA, that are um, free or have significantly reduced fees associated with their memberships or conferences. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of different things we can do. The other, the other piece is a lot of programs have quality improvement um, projects that students need to engage in. And I think there's um, really not a better place to do it than in post-acute and long-term care. Huh.
1: That's a great point. Uh, I liked what you said, and maybe our listeners, you know, those of you uh, who are situated in a way to do it uh, can contact your local, Uh, medical schools, residency programs, uh, nursing schools, and say, I'm willing to precept. And, uh, you know, there are those people out there who have an interest in it. uh, So that's, uh, you know, maybe that can be an action item for those of you that are listening that that, uh, have the ability to do that. So now let's move on to our second article for discussion, also from page one of the May issue from the desk of our new AMDA president, Dr. Suzanne Gillespie. Suzanne talks about how President Biden mentioned nursing homes in his State of the Union address, which I don't think any of us had ever heard uh, before, so we were sort of uh, tickled at that, Uh, and she details the five pillars of the administration's plan to reform long-term care. Can you say a little bit about that and how we within the society are hoping to collaborate on these efforts?
2: Sure, Carl. So the president's plan um, includes uh, the five pillars that target ensuring safe, adequate and dignified care, enhancing accountability and oversight, increasing transparency, particularly transparency in ownership, strengthening strengthening the workforce and ensuring um, pandemic and emergency preparedness. So I think some of the ways the society is supporting the president's plan um, are in areas of uh, accountability oversight and uh, adequate and dignified care, such as the drive to deprescribe program Mm. uh, that's been ongoing for some time now. Also, AMDA's made it very public about um, their support in terms of uh, ownership transparency and there are several workforce initiatives coming out of AMDA, including um, Medical Director Competencies, the Futures Program, and interdisciplinary partnerships with organizations like the Gerontologic Advanced Practice Nurses Association and the National Association of Healthcare Assistants.
1: Yeah, well that's great, and we are, uh, right, the House of Delegates at our meeting did uh, pass a a resolution that supported ownership transparency uh, and, you know, letting people know uh, essentially where the money is going, I suppose, uh, for facilities. Um, And we are also planning to take a couple of resolutions to the AMA House of Delegates in June, uh, one of which has to do with uh, loan repayment for people who choose to work in post-acute and long-term care to, to sort of make it be considered an underserved area uh, and also possibly a path to citizenship for non-citizens who uh, choose to work some uh, certain amount of time uh, in our settings. So uh, there is a lot going on there and I think Dr. Gillespie is a wonderful leader. I know she's going to continue to propel our society and its work forward in the year to come. As so many people and organizations are trying to figure out what uh, this whole reimagining of long-term care really will look like, and the uh, uh, National Academy of uh, uh, what is it, Science, Engineering, and Medicine, the old uh, yeah. Anyway, the there was a new. Um, paper put out uh, that some of our folks worked on uh, that uh, has a lot of ideas, including some really practical ones. So,
2: That's great. And um, just a a plug for the Futures Program, uh, Dr. Gillespie uh, completed that and that really got her engaged in um, the society and now she's president.
1: That's right. So uh, those uh, youngsters that are listening or early career people who are going to be participating in the futures or who have, that's exactly what uh, you might be able to look forward to. And we're we're always excited to get new, uh, you know, fresh faced people who bring a new perspective and and keep us uh, keep us in that growth, uh, you know, the, the growth
0: mode. Carrying on the go will resume after this brief message from the foundation.
3: Susan Levy, the Chair of the Foundation for Post-Acute and Long-Term Care Medicine, and we're pleased to have this opportunity to share a glimpse of our mission and accomplishments due to donations from many of you listening, our generous donors. The Post-Acute and Long-Term Care Foundation is the only philanthropic entity dedicated exclusively to support and enable professionals and clinicians working in this critical service area. We've had the distinct pleasure to support such worthy projects as the Futures Program, providing more than a million dollars since inception, to support practitioners developing their knowledge in their pursuits of service. Other funding priorities have included research on physician quality development measurements, the AMDA app, the Drive to Deprescribe initiative to optimize medication use in post-acute and long-term care, and AMDA's COVID-19 vaccination toolkit. Ongoing support will enable us to continue programs realizing our mission to support the quality of life for persons in the post-acute and long-term care spectrum and to inspire future and current practitioners and demonstrate the value of a trained and engaged workforce. Visit our new website at paltcfoundation.org. Help us if you can and will, and thank you for your continued commitment to our
0: field. And now back to our podcast.
1: So... Let's next move on to your care and collaborative column, Beth, on the role of clinical leadership or or really clinical leaders uh, in workforce development in our care setting. I suspect that a lot of our listeners share your observations and experiences that it's increasingly difficult to attract and retain good employees in nursing homes and other post-acute and long-term care settings. So you mentioned some great practical ideas in here to, to help remedy the problem including being responsive, practicing good communication skills, and pitching in when the need arises, which, you know, uh, if I'm at the nurse's station, there's nobody there and the phone rings, I, I answer it, you know, and I mean, it's no big deal, but and sometimes I have no idea what to do with the call, but um, I feel like I'm at least uh, trying to help out. So uh, can you share a little bit more about what we clinicians can do to, to help with that?
2: Sure. So when I wrote this, I really had the individual clinician in mind, as there are some really simple things we can do to help mostly promote retention of staff in these settings. Um, People are more likely to stay at a job when they feel valued and respected. Mm -hmm. Clinicians can um, help this in a variety of ways. So you mentioned before about being responsive. When a staff member reports a change in resident status to you, even if they're Using non specific terms like she's just not like herself. Um, take them seriously. Ask more questions, follow up with the resident, and then circle back to that staff member and provide the results of your assessment with the staff. Right. So and they can them. have,
1: yeah.
2: Yep, yep. So that they can have the opportunity to learn and also to reflect on the value of them picking up those subtle changes. The other thing is, um, to to work on your communication, Um, rather than getting frustrated when a staff member perhaps asks you for a particular medication um, for behavioral symptoms, be inquisitive. Say things like, help me understand um, why you think that particular medication will be helpful in this situation, or What other things have you and the staff tried to manage these behaviors? Or what are you worried about happening if this behavior continues? And then work with that staff member to help solve the problem together. And, you know, Carl, I gave a good uh, uh, example about pitching in to help, whether it's picking up the phone, providing training or guidance regarding donning and doffing PPE helping to hand out trays or pour someone a cup of water or walk with a resident. There's little things that we can all do that will mean so much for, to the frontline staff. The other thing um, that I was thinking about that, that talked more about recruitment, and I think this is a little, more, a little harder for uh, clinicians, but to be willing to accept people into the setting that maybe you traditionally wouldn't think would be there. So folks who don't have medical experience. I remember, Um, early, um, in my career in post-acute and long-term care, there was, um, a woman that I had known she had been one of my Girl Scout leaders Mm. and, um, she had worked at a clothing store that had shut down and had applied for a job as a nursing assistant with no previous medical experience. And, um, she wound up staying with the facility and just being a significant role model and helped. Um, orient and mentor um, future nursing assistants for years and years. So, just because someone maybe doesn't have that experience, giving them the chance and opportunity always makes a big difference. Uh,
1: that's fantastic. Yeah, and and it, I think uh, being creative about the kind of people that uh, you try to to get into your buildings, um, I think that's that's where we need to be. We need to be doing that and being more flexible in in some of the the hours and the benefits and and uh, things of that nature. I was going to say another thing I do sometimes is I'll wheel a wheel a resident, you know, from uh, whatever it is, the therapy gym to their room or, or to activities or something like that. I'm not the best wheelchair driver, I have to admit, but I I haven't seriously harmed anyone yet. Um, one other thing I do is I, I tend to go to Costco and um, get like chocolate covered almonds or chocolate covered raisins and bring them in when I when I come in and that may run into, you know, a, a decent amount of money over the course of a year, but it's really appreciated. And, uh, you know, I know pizza parties aren't the, the answer to everything, but uh, by the same token, they do show some appreciation. So, um, so the last piece we're gonna talk about is Christine Kilgore's article on page six, which is sort of a series of case reports of what some specific facilities have done. Uh, to try to attract and retain staff. So, can you talk about some of the strategies that our listeners and their facilities or organizations might be able to implement uh, from these stories?
2: Sure. Uh, this was actually one of my favorite articles in the issue because I think it was so hopeful and full of practical suggestions. Um, so, the first one was ask being willing to ask staff for their opinions about their work and the workplace, and um, one facility had a program that they nicknamed Hey Team Leader. It was a hmm. communication program um, that was, uh, you know, kind of designed to get facility staff to uh, give suggestions. And so staff from all departments jot down ideas, requests, or concerns under cards. And they had little boxes placed throughout the building um, in central locations. Hmm. And then the cards were would be reviewed by the senior leadership team, and um, content was included in monthly staff excellence meetings and um, you know things were changed based on the feedback um, that staff provided. Mm
0: -hmm. So So sort of like
1: a like a suggestion box sort of. uh, practice.
2: Yeah. but mm-hmm. it sounds like you know, with the idea of discussing issues further in, in um, meetings and, and really uh, using some of those suggestions, not just putting them in there, not doing anything with them. The other thing facilities did was um, talked about the importance of financial support for education, whether that's going back for a different certification or degree, Um, perhaps a nursing assistant going on to become an RN, uh, but also continuing education for those who, um, you know, perhaps want to remain directly at the bedside and and not change their roles. And... um, one facility had their own GNA program to really uh, train their frontline staff directly rather than relying on external programs and other facilities did simple interventions such as a thank you note program for their staff or different recognition awards. So there's a variety of things that we can do that really don't cost a whole lot of money. but. Um, aside from the education, I guess, but um, but still engage staff and, and try to help them feel like they're important. That one facility I was telling you about that did the Hey Team Leader program with mm-hmm. a, a suggestion box, but actually acted on things, had a re- staff retention rate in 2021
1: of 82%. Wow, <laughs> that's unheard of, right? Yeah, and, so and, yeah.
2: In, especially in that year. So something obviously was going right there. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Beth, you mentioned a GNA, is that a geriatric nursing assistant?
2: Yes. Yes.
1: Tell me a little about that.
2: So in terms of their, uh, the facility's own program, you mean, or.
1: Is that a, is that a, um, I don't, I'm just not really familiar with the designation.
2: And... Oh, so it may it's a Maryland thing. So, um, CNA certified nursing assistants in the state of Maryland, um, in order to work in, a nursing home, not so much assisted living, but a skilled unit or a long-term nursing home. Mm-hmm. Um, staff who uh, have to undergo a, a specific geriatric nursing assistant program. So it's um, additional training on top of their CNA training.
1: Oh well, it's a good idea. I mean, yeah. uh, I, obviously, our population isn't uh, isn't just a, a regular uh, regular population. <laughs> they've got their own special needs. Well, that's I uh, hadn't heard that designation before, so thank you. Um, well, so I, I wanted to um, briefly mention a couple of the other articles. I don't know if you want to chime in on any of these, but Dr. Steve Levinson's column also addresses workforce issues, uh, which he notes are nothing new in our care setting and you know has a bit of a regulatory flavor. Um, another piece by Joanne Caldy has to do with CNA shortages how to empower CNAs with some insights from Lori Porter, who is from uh, NACA, uh, who is a force of nature uh, and uh, was at our our annual meeting. Then Paige Hector's column that addresses the importance of our staff, feeling that their work with our residents is more than just a job. And of course, that's how I hope most of us feel about it. Uh, And then AMDA's wonderful friend, attorney Alan Horowitz, discusses arbitration agreements in his legal column, and geriatrician, poet, and educator Dr. Jerry Winokur talks about dying at home uh, in his meditations on geriatric medicine column, and I, I, I love Jerry's work, and I love his book of poetry, uh, so uh, any anything, any highlights you want to mention, Beth?
2: So I, I also want to give a little shout out to Dr. Winokur's um, article this month. I, I always enjoy reading his articles, but this was probably one of my most favorites. Um, also, um, there's um, articles in there by uh, Nicole Brant and Merton Lee, who are both pharmacists that talk about burnout in the pharmacy industry. And our own Wayne Saltzman um, jumped in and um, helped us with a caregiver's corner, which has tips for families on how to actively participate with the interdisciplinary team and plans of care. So lots of good things in this issue.
1: Yeah, yeah, so please check out the whole issue or it's really a great one. Uh, so Beth, I wanna thank you and our managing editor, Tess Bird for putting together this great issue on workforce issues, Issue, it's an issue on issues. Uh, before we close, do you have any final comments or wisdom to share?
2: Well, I, you know, I think we just, um, need to be creative in terms of workforce, innovative, open to new ideas, and treat others as we would want to be treated.
1: (laughs) That is a great message to close on. Uh, So that's going to wrap it up for May's Caring on the Go podcast. Under the leadership of Editor-in-Chief Dr. Elizabeth Gallick, Caring for the Ages continues to report and reflect the outstanding work being done by AMDA, the Society for Post-Acute and Long-Term Care Medicine and its leaders, members, and communities. Please take a look at the May issue, available as always without a paywall at www.caringfortheages.com. Dr. Gallick, thanks again for spending your time with Caring on the Go. And now, until next time, I'm Dr. Carl Steinberg for Caring on the Go.
0: If you are a physician interested in obtaining ABPLM pre approved certified medical director credits for certification or recertification, go to our learning management system at apex.paltc.org. That's apex.paltc.org. Click on the podcast and follow the link to this episode.